of Gethsemane. He's there with a, his 12 disciples. And as, as we review what happened, I want to remind you of the things that the Lord did that night. One of them was to institute the Lord's Supper. He did this as an ordinance for the church. And we turn to the Gospel of John. You can go there with me. I'm, I'm not going to delay, but it's in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. John chapter 13. And I'll read the first five verses in John chapter 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that His hour had come, that He would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around himself. Before that he does anything else there, he does what a slave should be doing. Jesus washes the feet of His disciples. Oh, dear one, what an example of humility that God even displayed through His Son on the night He would be betrayed. And we bicker and complain and whine all the time as Christians. And here is the Son of God, perfect in every way, fully God and fully man, removes His outer garments down to His underwear gets before the disciples and washes their feet. So think again of His humility. But here before, if you know the scene, the disciples have been bickering among themselves who was the greatest. And here who is the greatest lowers Himself as a mere household slave. Back in Matthew 32, 11, Jesus told them, The greatest among you shall be your servant. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Serve others. You want to show your love for Christ? Serve others. Don't wait to be served. Don't, don't, you know, there's not an elder in this church that waits for you to serve him. They are the first ones to serve you and to serve others. The deacons are the same way. Men, godly men that God has set aside to serve this body who come and, and make sure things are set up, that, that, that they do those things humbly behind the scenes, not looking for any recognition except the desire to serve you and to represent Christ. But not these apostles at this time. Instead of humbling themselves, disciples were continuing their ongoing debate that we read about in Luke chapter 22 and Mark chapter 9. So Jesus did what He did during the entire time of his earthly ministry, he lived out what he taught. Christian, do you do that? What you have been taught by God through his word, what you hear when the preacher stands and proclaims his truth from scripture and challenges you to live like a believer, do you live that way? Do you, do you, do you practice what you preach? How many times do we as Christians know that we should be serving but Wait for others to serve us. So here we are at the Passover meal, and, and this would be the last meal He would eat before He died. The last time that Jesus would break bread with the disciples in His earthly body. 
The Last Supper brought the Old Testament observance of the Passover feast to fulfillment. Passover observed the time when God spared His people from the plagues and physical death brought on Egypt during their time of captivity. During the Last Supper, His his apostles, Jesus took two symbols associated with Passover and instilled within them a fresh meaning as a way to remember Christ's sacrifice. That's what this is all about. Every time we gather, and, and I know sometimes, Christian, I've been there. I've been there. I've walked into churches before, and I've seen that displayed on a Sunday morning. Well, oh, Lord, we're going to be here extra time. Oh, shame on me. Shame on us when we, when we take lightly the breaking of the bread that represents His body that was broken for each one of us. Shame on us when we take the cup and we go start thinking of all other things or start complaining about things or just hurry up, let's get this over with, let me get out of here. And yet every time we do it, God said, when you come together and you break this bread, remember what I have done for you until I come again. Until I come again. You know what the early church used to say after they did the Lord's Supper? They would say, till we meet again or till we eat at the wedding feast with Christ. That's us, believers. We'll break bread tonight. We could leave this place and God could take us all home in a tornado. Oh, we laughed about that one. We could die before we meet Sunday. And the next time we will meet together as a body, we'll be at the wedding feast to break the bread and drink the wine. But we will come back Sunday, God willing, and we will break bread again. Will it be routine for you? Do you think it's routine when we do this? During the Last Supper with His apostles, Jesus took these two minutes... Two elements. After taking the cup, Luke chapter 22, verse 17. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And then Matthew tells us it's poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' words during the Last Supper about the unleavened bread and the cup echo what He had said after He fed the 5,000. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in Me will never be thirsty. I am the living bread, Jesus said. That came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. John chapter 6. That's why Christians were accused of cannibalism in the early first century. Well, Jesus isn't talking about His physical body here. He's talking about the representation that we understand that we have trusted Him in for our salvation and Him alone. That we know that we will never get to heaven on our own works. There's nothing in us that's good and desires to be righteous before a holy God. 
And that God's wrath must be appeased against sin. And God sent His Son, Jesus, to be that perfect Lamb who took away the sins of the world. And we will gather shortly and we will break that bread. We will remember that sacrifice and what He did for you on that cross when He took that wrath of God upon Himself. I want you to notice something though as, 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 as Jesus spends this last, these last hours with His disciples. His love for them and His love for us is seen in John chapters 14 through 17. Why is this important? Because after Judas, is, Judas leaves, the betrayer, Jesus teaches them. Teaches them. He's getting ready to go and die. And He's still concerned about the 11 He's leaving behind and all of us that come after. What did Jesus spend? What did, how did He spend His time? What did he talk about in these last hours he had with his disciples? I want to share with you very quickly five reasons. They're quick. You, you, don't worry. Don't panic. There are five lessons that Jesus gave to his disciples and to us during his last hours. The first one, he told them not to be worried. The first thing he said, don't, be, don't worry. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. John chapter 14, 1 through 3. Let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, he says. These are the men that he's leaving behind. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's telling those 11 and every one of us that he's going to open up the gates of heaven. That he's going to redeem the lost. That He is going to prepare a place for you and I to spend eternity. If that doesn't get you excited about what's going on in, in the life of every believer, I don't know what will. You know what keeps Ke Kevin going? Is this very, very promise which should keep every one of us going. Oh, there's dear ones in here. And too many to name that God has taken from our family already. When I... When... when, when when we started Grace Harvest in 06, I never thought about people dying under my ministry. Didn't even think about it. And as we grow and we get older, and God has taken away brothers and sisters that I love. We've lost a sister in Christ to a murder that was a member of this church. We have lost brothers and diseases and yet God gives us the hope and the joy of this life as we see births and we see children born within this flock who will be here long after this old man is gone. And, that, and, 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 and a lot of you too. And, and they'll be here. And praise God, I hope one of those young men is standing in this pulpit, standing here 30, 40, 50 70, 100 years from now, proclaiming God's truth from this pulpit. If there's only three people in this building that still want to hear the truth. These, the, Jesus was concerned. He told them not to be worried. Secondly, He promised them the coming of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love Me, you will keep My commandments, He said. Christian, if you love Him, you will keep His commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth 
whom the world cannot receive, those who do not know Christ cannot be possessors of the Holy Spirit. When you were born again, my brothers and sisters, every one of you, every one of you has the Spirit of God in you. And yet we live weak and defeated lives, knowing that the same Spirit that was entered the apostles was given unto us. Never alone, Christian. Never in your walk are you alone. And then thirdly, he told them what a true believer looks like and how they will bear fruit. What a true believer looks like. John chapter 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You know what's the problem with the church today? we got too many people that want Jesus as Savior and not Lord. We treat church as a country club. We'll come when we feel like coming. I'll give when I feel like giving. I'll serve when I feel like serving. When, the, when they do what I want them to do, then we'll do it. We forget that He, He is the vine. We are the branches. We do nothing without Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Him and our brothers and sisters in Christ and serving Him for His glory, for His purposes in our lives. The best thing we can do as Christians is understand it. you ain't important. Excuse my grammar, English teachers. It isn't about us. Oh, you think I jest. And, you know, someone was asking me just the other day. I, I can't even remember who it was. I'm getting so old. I can't even remember conversations from two days ago. And they said, what is the biggest difference in you since you came to Saving Faith? And I said, I'll tell you what it is. I said, it's trusting in Christ for everything instead of myself. It's, it's he made me this shy little boy who was married to a beautiful woman, and Kathy was the one that talked all the time. Believe that or not. Three people in a room, you wouldn't hear me talk. Kathy was the one that talked. Kathy, that God saved me and He changed me. And He made this mere man, this donkey, His vessel, this non-important individual that, that you would pass over if you were ever going to pick somebody in his mid-40s to, to shepherd a church who hadn't even finished his undergraduate degree, let alone his, his master's and seminary work, and they said, he's the one I'm going to pick, you would have laughed at me. You would have laughed. You People have come to our church and and said, look, look how small they are, and, 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 and watch, it, watch us grow. And it's not because of me or any individual. You know what? It's because of Christ. Because we choose to be branches that are attached to the vine. And He's the one that does the work. Fourth, He gave them a new commandment. All this He's doing in His last hours. This, in, in uh, here, chapter 15, verse 12, this is my commandment in John. That you love one another as I have loved you. He's looking at these eleven. And he's saying to them, you see the way I've loved you? You see you followed me for three years and how I've loved you. And I've cared for you. I've corrected you. I've taught you. I've showed you the things of God. Now I want you to love other people like that. Christian, it 
That hasn't changed for us. It's the same command. That you love one another as I have loved you. Do you love that difficult person within the church family? Is there someone in the body of Christ here at Grace Harvest that for some reason you have not been able to forgive them or for some reason you're holding a grudge against them and, and to be honest with yourself, you would say, I can't love that person. That's of the enemy and not of God. All it takes is a little humility. Go up to a brother or sister and you say, you know what? I need to ask you to forgive me. I've been holding a grudge against you. And you don't need to explain it to them. You don't need to say, I've been holding this grudge because you hurt me and you've been such a jerk and, and I really don't like you, but preacher preached a sermon on Thursday night and i got to go say I'm sorry. No. Repent. Go before, your, go before your Lord on your knees and say, Lord, t- help me. I can't do it myself. The Holy Spirit indwells in me. Help me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And yes, that means you have to like them. And then finally, he said this. Be prepared to be hated. Be prepared to be hated. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Christian, why do we think that the one they crucified, the holy one, the perfect one, the one that shared the love of God with them and told them of their sin, told them to repent, why do you think when you give the same message, somehow they're going to like you? They're not. They're going to hate you. Just turn on your favorite social media platform and see the viral, visceral language that people use against Christianity. And yet you're still commanded to love your enemies and to share the love of God with them. So I'm going to repeat those five lessons very quickly. He told them not to be worried. He promised them the coming of the Holy Spirit. He told them what a true believer looks like and how they will bear fruit. Fourth, he gave them a new commandment. And fifth, he prepared them to be hated. And so that moves us to, to, to what I want to share with you here as we get into what happened after the Lord's Supper. After they eaten and Jesus taught, uh, we see that in chapter 17, we see Jesus praying with the Father. One of my favorite chapters in Scripture, chapter 17, you hear Jesus' heart. He's praying to His Father. You hear His heart. Meditate that on that, Christian. I would, I would say to you, encourage you tomorrow during your quiet time, open your Bible, turn to John 17, read that prayer. Read it. I'm going to summarize what it is in, the first, in verses 1 through 5. He prays for Himself. He prays to the Father. Jesus prays to the Father. He prays for Himself. As Jesus begins His high priestly prayer... He reveals that His purpose in coming to earth was to glorify the Father by giving eternal life to those who believe in Him. That was the purpose of Him coming. Although Jesus is God and was with the Father before the world began, we know that from John chapter 17, verse 5, as, as well as John chapter 1, 
He humbled himself and came to earth as a man so people would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he set. sent. John chapter 17, verse 3. And now, here's the hour. His hour has come when Jesus' work on earth would be finished. And Jesus asked the Father to glorify Him. Jesus asked the Father to glorify Jesus. As He prepared Himself to finish the work that would give eternal life to those who would believe in Him. God's praying. Jesus is praying to the Father. Glorify what I'm doing. You see, Christian, it's always about God and never about us. In verses 6 through 14, he prays for his disciples, the 11. In John chapter 17, uh, verses 6 through 14, Jesus continues his high, high uh, priestly prayer by praying for his disciples. If you want to know what the real Lord's prayer is, this is it. We, the, the Lord's Prayer that we've referred to the Lord's Prayer is He's teaching us how to pray. This is the Lord praying. Jesus prays that the Father would protect the disciples since He will no longer be present in the world. Lord, I'm being taken out. You're removing me. These, do you think He loved the eleven? Do you think He cared for them? Of course He did. Just as He cares for you, dear Christian. Just as He loves you and cares for you and His desire is to see you grow and for you to be protected, especially from the evil one. He prays not that they will be removed from the world. He doesn't say that, does He? But specifically that they would be protected from the evil one in John chapter 17, 15. And then verses 15 through 25, guess what? This is why I love this chapter. He prays for me. Me and you, <laughs> and every other believer that would ever come after. He prays for you, Christian. Jesus' desire expressed in his high earth priestly prayer is that all of his followers would be complete unity. That they would be in complete unity. What does Paul write about to the churches all the time? Disunity within the body. Disunity within the body. Bickering, fighting, just arguing over stupid stuff that doesn't matter. And, it, and, 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 and it's, it's just like you pour water into concrete in the wintertime and it, it, you think it's nothing wrong with it and it expands and it breaks up your sidewalk. You see, God wanted us to be unified just as He and the Father are in perfect unity. Jesus prays for believers to be in God so that the world will believe in Jesus. Again, Christian, how does the world know about Christ? He knows they know because of you. That's how they know. What they know of Jesus is what you tell them. What they know of Jesus is how you live, Christian. How, they, how your family knows who Jesus is is not seeing hypocrisy. Daddies in your homes, do the ones who don't know Christ, do they see hypocrisy in your life? Do they say you say one thing at church, and one thing when you're out, but at home you belittle your wife? You're short with your children? You never ask for forgiveness from anyone? Do they see a man who humbles themselves before the Lord? Do they see a man that loves their mommy like Christ loved the church? And wives... 
Do you backbite behind your husband? Do you go around telling everybody all of your husband's faults? How bad he is, how negative he is. He doesn't do anything. He's worthless. The only reason I'm staying with him is because I can't divorce him. Pastor Mark, we come knocking on my door. Do they see mommies who love Jesus and love their husbands and submit unto their husbands as unto the Lord? Not, not like a child's obedience to his parents, but one of loving submission, knowing that the God has placed that husband above them to protect them. You see, how you live tells the world who Jesus is. And for the last 15 minutes, I'm going to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. I, I, I want to look at three events in this. And, and, and again, I'm going to rocket us through here. We're going to talk about the, the, what, what happens here. We know from Mark's account that he took his inner circle. We're going to talk about the prayer. He takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, to pray with him. And he left the other eight to wait. How, how would you like if you were the three that were chosen? And you were chosen to go be with him, his inner circle. And we know from the other Gospels that they couldn't stay awake. They could not stay awake in his hour of need. Christian, we're no different than them. God has called you to a life to live for him. And yet how many times have I failed him? But guess what? As long as I have breath in my body... He still wants to use me. And as long as you have breath in your body, He still wants to use you, Christian. You are special. Understand that. God chose you and saved you, and He gave you a gift when He saved you to use for His glory. And as long as you have breath in your body, are you using it for Him? Oh, I, We have members in our church. You know, uh, young people, I, I want to speak to you just a second. You see the older folks walk around. You see smiles on their faces. You see them say hi to you. And you may not give them a second thought and walk away from Many of these folks are suffering physically, in pain, have issues that you could never imagine, and yet you still see a smile on their face. You still see them serve the Lord. You don't see them whining and complaining. They serve. It's a reminder to all of us that all of us in these earthly bodies will suffer. We will all have surgeries at some point in our life if you live long enough. I know young person, when you look at somebody and they start complaining, they walk funny. When they bend over a little bit funny and they're a little slow getting up, you're thinking, what's wrong with these people? Just wind them up. Come on, Papa, why can't you run with me? Because I can't run anymore. But folks, remember that as long as we have breath in our bodies, let's use it for His glory. You know, in, in what we read tonight in His prayer, what did He ask for? He asked for the cup to be removed. That kind of shocks some people. But that's, the, that's Him, 100% man. Knowing that He, and as 100% God, was going to receive the wrath of God upon Himself. He was going to have to take that cup that was meant for you and I. Eternal damnation. Do you realize, Christian, that God would have been completely fair and just just to leave us to our own sin 
and all die and go to hell. And he would have been perfectly just in that. And yet in his mercy and grace, he says, I'm going to pour it out on my son. John MacArthur writes this, quote, Outside of the cross itself, this was the apex of his suffering. The three, the 30-some years that he's lived, it was in Gethsemane that Jesus experienced his greatest moment of temptation as he contemplated the cup of, cup of divine wrath that would soon be poured out on him, unquote. Many of you have seen the Passion of the Christ. That start, you know, when, the, when he's in the garden and it's all dark and he's praying to God and then the serpent shows up. And they have a representation of Satan in the garden. He was tempted. And yet he said very quickly, Father, take this cup from me if it is possible. Is there any other way you can save him? Is there anything else that you can do? But very quickly he knew God's sovereign plan. And he said, not my will, but your will be done. Christian, is that your plea in your own life when you desire things is 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 your first thought god i want this or don't even ask him for it or you believe these false preachers that you see on tv give me your money give me your money and god will bless you god doesn't want you to be poor he wants you to have everything god wants you to be healthy and wealthy he wants all this for you baloney god wants you to be holy that's what he wants and that means, means you might be poor. It might mean that you're a, a leper. It might mean you have to suffer with, with, with a disease. It may mean that you have to be imprisoned. It may mean that you have to be martyred for the sake of Christ. Does that sound like, listen to some preachers we see on TV that tell you, God just wants you to be happy. And if you're not, you don't have any faith. A lie straight from the pits of hell. My soul is sorrowful unto death. This was the deepest sorrow Jesus had ever experienced. The intensity of the pain was so great that he was astonished by it. He gave his three men, the closest to him, the, 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 the honor and the privilege to watch over him, to be there, to, to hold his arms up. Can you be with me, John, Peter, James? Can you be with me? Do you understand the, that what I'm getting ready to do? Oh, can you just pray with me? Can you, can you watch with me? This is when he prayed for that cup to be removed from him. Jesus was wondering if his father, again, was there any, any, any other possible way? There was no other way. There is no other way for men to be saved except through the innocent sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb. Jesus has said it before. He was the way, the truth, and the life. Hear me, dear one, today, if you don't know the Lord as Savior, and you're thinking that this all sounds good, preacher, but I know that a whole lot of other religions out there just tell me this and that. And what makes you think you're right? Well, I'm telling you that the God in the flesh said it so. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Every other religion, listen to me, 
Every other religion is from the pits of hell. No matter how nice they are, how sweet they are to you, they are preaching a heresy straight from demons. When they tell you that you can be a good Muslim, a good Hindu, a good Buddhist, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, when you can do all those things except this. This is the only thing that saves me. And the only thing that saves you. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner before a holy God. I repent of that sin just as the thief on the cross did. And I acknowledge Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And because of that, I am made righteous, not because of anything I've done, but because of what He done, what He did. In Luke chapter 22:47, we we come to the confrontation between Judas and Jesus. Jesus. Judas came near to Jesus and kisses Him. Kisses Him. I've told you this before, in Middle Eastern culture, in my family, uh, the Italian side of my family, on the English side, you just don't touch anybody. That's where Crystal gets that from. But on the Italian side, kissing on the cheeks, you know, I saw my uncles, and they grab each other and kiss each other on the cheeks, and, and everybody's kissing on each other. And my, my, I'll never forget the first time that my grandmother grabbed me and starts grabbing my cheek up, in, uh, up north, and, and, and my aunt's up there talking to Kathy about, you need to feed this boy, he's too skinny. They, they're affectionate, they're, they're loving, they're caring, and they show it by kissing those they care about. And here, in the same kind of culture, this man who walked with Jesus for three years walks up to him and kisses him. Think about it in your own life. Imagine somebody that's so close to you that you have loved dearly and they betray you. Stick a knife in your back. One that you thought was a friend. And they do it by kissing your cheek. When you think of a traitor, there's no greater traitor in the history of the world than Judas. And of all the ways he could have done it, he could have just said, that's him. That's him. That's the one you want. He walks up and kisses him. There could have been no more despicable way for him to have pointed out the Lord. And after the kiss, the disciples realize what's going on. John's Gospel tells us it's Peter acting impulsively and cuts off the high priest's ear. I see some of you doing that in here. But that's why he gave it to us. No. And listen to what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to the high priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out to arrest him, Have you come out against a, uh, as against a robber with swords and clubs? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing it this way? Why didn't you arrest me right in front of everybody else? You know why? Because this was the hour and the power of darkness in the middle of the night. How many times have you heard me say that's when evil lurks around? They were scared of the people. They were scared of what happened. So they sneak around and they arrest our Lord. They seized Him and they took Him to the high priest's house. Christian, tomorrow we will gather in this same place. Tonight we will break bread together in just a moment. And I want to remind you, this is for believers. You don't have to be a member of Grace Harvest. All you have to do is be a professing Christian. 
You believe in your heart that Jesus was God incarnate, that He suffered and died and was buried, and on the third day He rose from the dead. And you, as the bread is broken this evening, and we pass it, and the fruit of the vine is given and we drink it, we remember that night some 2,000 years ago when Jesus was with His disciples and was betrayed. And then tomorrow we will come and each one of us will hear again what they did to our Savior as I preach on the last seven phrases of Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Christian, as we come tonight, thank you. I, I want to thank you, first of all, for coming out. To be perfectly honest, I thought we would have half this number because of the storm. And yet here you are. Oh, dear ones, it is so good to be in the house of God with my brothers and sisters tonight. Especially after being with Kevin and Janet this afternoon. We do not know how many more Easter's we will see. We don't know how many times we will be able to gather as a people before He comes to take us home or the government shuts us down. So I ask you, Christian, what does this mean to you tonight as we receive the elements? Is this just another routine that you're getting ready to do? Or are you contemplating what Christ has done for us? I'm not going to have a regular invitation today. I'm going to pray for you. And dear one, if you don't know Christ, I know people in this room that I love dearly that don't know Jesus as Savior. I know there's people listening that may be listening because they're, they're parents or grandparents or people that are far away from us and they're, and they're listening to this tonight that may not know Christ as Savior. I beg you and I plead with you that the time is now for the hour of salvation. Christ came to set captivity free. He came to die for you in your place. What hinders you? During the time of fellowship, you can seek me out. You can seek the elders out, the deacons out, or somebody in this church that you know. If you're a visitor here tonight, I haven't seen any visitors that I don't know. You come and and you share with me your doubts. I'd love to sit down with you tonight and the days and weeks to come to share you with you the love that God has for you. Father, we're getting ready, Father, to partake in what your Son instituted the night He was betrayed. Father, it's a command that He has given to us. I thank you, Father, that we will do that today as we break bread. Father, I confess my sin to you. My sins of commission and omission. I, I come to you tonight, Lord, with clean hands and a clean heart, knowing that you have faithfully forgiven my sins. I, I pray my brothers and sisters do the same thing tonight. And I pray, Father, that we never take for granted what it cost you to give us eternal life with you. And I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.